Welcome to Montrose Bible Church. We're so glad you've chosen to join us as Pastor Matt and other church leaders challenge us with a message from God's Word. This morning we continue our sermon series from the book of Matthew as Jesus teaches the crowd in parables. In the most basic sense, parables are practical stories that illustrate spiritual truths. And they proved to be a tremendous blessing for those whose eyes and ears were opened to them. Because those illustrations greatly simplified more complex theologies. And yet, at the same time, for those who did not believe, For those whose eyes were blinded and ears deafened because of their continual rejection of Christ, well, the parables would serve as a judgment of sorts. Because those outside the faith would never come to understand their true meaning at all. Now, as it turns out, these parables actually kept certain truths veiled from those whose hearts remained hardened. Now, to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus told his disciples. But to them, it has not been granted. For whoever has uh, wisdom, understanding, uh, enlightenment, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have these abilities to discern, even what he has shall be taken away from him. That's why I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Such was the case for the scribes and the Pharisees who refused Christ's teaching. Such was the case for the crowds who had gathered near. Such is the case for the majority of people living today. No matter how persuasive the argument, how logical the sequence, how clear the presentation, most men will not recognize the truth because they have become decidedly callous to it. That's the sad state of our world. Billions upon billions of people stumbling around in the dark. But that does not have to be you. Now, if you commit to following Christ, your eyes will be blessed because they will see and your ears because they will hear. And isn't that our hope? That as we press closer and closer His teaching becomes clearer and clearer, leaving no doubt as to what Jesus is teaching in these parable stories. Well, turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 13, and follow along as we read God's Word together, beginning now in verse 24. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. 
But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up. Gather the wheat into my barn. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. Then Jesus left the crowds and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He said, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. The tares are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. And as we open our Bibles to the 13th chapter of Matthew, we find a collection of seven different parables. Now last week we considered the first of those teachings, the parable of the soils, which illustrates four varied responses to the gospel message. As the sower scatters the word of God across the landscape, he finds some hearts that are hardened, some hearts that are shallow, some hearts that are divided, and some hearts that are fruitful. Clearly, the emphasis there was on the condition of the soil. But for the rest of the chapter, Jesus turns his focus from the nature of the soil to the nature of the kingdom. In fact, each of the six remaining parables, including the three that we have before us this morning, begin with this very same statement. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to, or the kingdom of heaven is like. 
That phrase introduces each of the remaining stories, explaining to the crowd and to the disciples later what this new gospel movement is all about. That is the entirety of this chapter. Except for a small interlude in verses 34 and 35, where Matthew cites this method of teaching as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, he says. And he did not speak to them without a parable. For this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. Now it's unclear whether Asaph had Christ in mind when he wrote these words back in Psalm 78 verse 2. But Matthew sees Jesus' use of parables as another confirmation of his divine origin, his messianic status, and his authority in the kingdom. For as he teaches the people in story, Christ reveals truths that up till now have remained hidden from view. First, Jesus teaches about the judgment of those who oppose the gospel kingdom. Well, take a look back at verse 24. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather those tares up? He said, No. For while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Instead, allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. As Jesus speaks to the crowds about the state of the kingdom, his first order of business, now notice this, friends, his first order of business is to tell the people what happens to those who oppose it. No doubt the majority of those who had gathered to hear him were of the hardened, shallow, or divided variety who are not going to bear the fruit of Christ. The question is, what ultimately becomes of them? Well, to answer that question, Jesus changes up his previous metaphor, using the same agrarian symbols, but with slightly different assignments for each. And once again, the sower in the story is the Son of Man, Christ Jesus who plants in his field good seed. Now, in the parable of the soils, 
That seed was a reference to the Word of God. But here, the good seed represents the true sons of the gospel kingdom. Those redeemed peoples of the world, as Jesus explains to his disciples in verse 38. The Lord plants his own amongst every nation, every tribe, and every tongue, that they might grow and become fruitful plants of righteousness in his field. But the righteous plants aren't alone. No, they are surrounded by a whole host of other people who are not sons and daughters of the king. Who are not growing in Christ. Who are not planted by God on divine mission. Those people are the tares in Jesus' story. And not only is it important we recognize their presence among us, we must also understand how and for what purpose they are in our midst. As Christ explains to the crowd, the tares weren't planted in this field by the sower. Nor did they spring up by happenstance. No, they were purposefully placed next to the good seed by his enemy, who is the devil. Now, I have to understand, in the ancient Near East, sowing tares in another's farmer's field was one of the ways that people sought vengeance against the people they hated. In fact, this kind of activity was so common in that day, the Roman government had particular laws spelled out as to how to punish those who were caught sowing in another's field. Their weed of choice was called darnel, which is very close to wheat botanically and therefore difficult to distinguish from it until the plants begin to reach maturity. Enemies would enter the field in the middle of the night while the workers were sleeping and spread this seed of destruction up and down every row to prevent the crop from success and the sower from a bountiful harvest. And that is precisely the devil's motivation. As soon as the Son of Man introduces the kingdom of heaven to the world and plants men and women of gospel influence all across the landscape, the powers of evil rise up to ruin it by placing his evil emissaries in all of those same locales. Now one solution to the problem, which was offered by the workers here, is to immediately start pulling at all of the weeds to rid the field of their presence entirely. Shouldn't we gather up these tares and do away with them? It's a fair question. Similar to the one asked by James and John in Luke chapter 9. When the days were approaching for Christ's ascension and he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Well, he sent messengers on ahead of him and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. 
but the Samaritans did not receive him because he was a Jew and was traveling toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Just wipe them out and be done? Well, no. Not because we should be tolerant of evil, mind you. Not because we need to play nice with those who rebel. Because it's not the time yet for their judgment. Oh, it's coming. Of that you can be sure. But not until the final harvest. When Christ sends his holy angels to bind them in bundles and burn them up. In the meantime, we're going to have to figure out a way to carry on in this mixed multitude. And we're going to breathe the same air, eat the same food, live in the same neighborhoods as the tares. And we have got to find a way to mature in our faith as we do so. I mean, God could just destroy the whole thing with us in it. But in mercy, he waits until the day of harvest so that he can sort out those who bear fruit from those who don't. Turns out that is the prevailing difference between the wheat and the darnel. They look the same at the start. And for a while, they are indistinguishable. But as the days go by, and the weeks and the months, one bears grain and the other doesn't. And when those angelic reapers come, friends, that's how they will evaluate the crop. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels, we're told in Matthew chapter 16. And will then repay every man according to his deeds. Those who have proven themselves among the wheat by bearing grain will be gathered into God's storehouse. Those who prove themselves tares by bearing nothing, they will be set ablaze. As Jesus spells out very clearly in verse 40. Just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, he says, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. As the NIV puts it, they will gather up everything that causes sin and all who do evil and will throw them into the furnace of fire where there is weeping and the gnashing of teeth. It might not happen today. Probably won't happen tomorrow. But one day, it will. And when it does, 
there will be no more mercy for the unbelieving soul. Are you there? By way of metaphor, Jesus describes the judgment of those who oppose the gospel kingdom. And then the growth potential of the gospel kingdom. Let's take a look back at verse 31, where Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. This is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches." Now, despite the presence of so many of Satan's tares, Jesus assures his audience that the kingdom of God will flourish. Just not in the way that they had previously imagined. You see, when the Hebrew people envisioned the kingdom of God, or as Matthew puts it, the kingdom of heaven, They had illusions of incredible grandeur. And why not? God's kingdom was going to be far greater than Pharaoh's Egypt, than David's monarchy, than Caesar's Rome. And when it comes, well, immediately, God will announce its arrival with all the pomp and circumstance that it's due. I mean, that's what the Jewish crowd said always Imagined. So, where's the royal ceremony? Now, where's the military march? Where's the inauguration day parade? There isn't one. Well, at least there won't be one for some time. Because that's not how the kingdom of heaven gets its start on earth. No, contrary to the elaborate expectations of the Jewish people, God's kingdom would have a very small, obscure, seemingly insignificant beginning. And in that way, it is just like a tiny mustard seed. Though it is not technically the smallest seed known to us today, The mustard seed had earned proverbial status in rabbinical Judaism as that which starts out inconsequential but experiences explosive growth. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And compared to other religions in Rome at this time, it was barely even noticeable. And that might have caused some in the crowd to scoff at its obscurity. But just because the kingdom is minute now, don't let that fool you. For from the humblest of beginnings, Jesus says, will come a greatness and a splendor and a majesty that is beyond anything that you have ever dared to dream. And just as this plant rises above all the others in the garden, so will the kingdom of God tower over all other religious systems, all other spiritual 
experiences, how they will even dwarf the perils of evil itself. Indeed, what starts out as a homeless carpenter and a bunch of uneducated fishermen will soon become the envy of every other kingdom in the world. No longer overlooked and disregarded as it was in those early days of the first century, but recognized and distinguished by men and women all across the globe who want nothing more than to rest in its glorious branches. As Jesus carries this metaphor of the mustard seed forward, that's the imagery that he employs. That of a full-grown tree which provides safe haven to all the birds that flock there. There's no doubt as the men and women in the crowd considered giving their lives to Christ, they were evaluating the magnitude of this movement. Perhaps they were disheartened by the relative insignificance of its size. So Jesus reassures them that just because it looks small now doesn't mean it's going to stay that way. Surely this thing is going to grow from 12 to 120 to a great multitude which no one could count, as we're told in the book of Revelation. A great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues who are all standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, all of them crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Yeah? And by making these comparisons... Jesus explains the judgment of those who oppose the gospel kingdom, the growth potential of the gospel kingdom, and then in verse 33, the permeating influence of the gospel kingdom. He spoke another parable to them, saying this, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. And once again, we notice this same opening statement, the kingdom of heaven is like. But if we were surprised in its comparison to a tiny mustard seed, well, we are even more shocked that Christ would compare his kingdom to something like leaven. Now, typically, when we read about leaven in Scripture, it's associated with sin, impurity, or even evil. In Luke, we're warned about the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In 1 Corinthians, Paul calls it the leaven of malice and wickedness. And of course, in Exodus 12, the people are told to eat no leaven, lest they be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Now, more often than not, when we think of leaven, we associate it with something negative that ought to be purged. But leaven itself is not evil. Now, just because it has a negative connotation in our minds doesn't mean leaven is bad in and of itself. During the Feast of Pentecost, for example, 
Bread offered to the Lord had to be baked with leaven in order to be acceptable. During this important celebration, the people were told in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 17, you shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread for a wave offering made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of a fine flour baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. Oh, and that's just one of many occasions where leaven was positive and necessary in the Jewish household. In fact, having leaven available was such a blessing to these people that when a Hebrew girl was about to get married, her mother would give her, as a wedding present, a small piece of leavened dough from a batch baked just before the ceremony so the bride could bake leavened bread for her own family in the years ahead. Now, we think of it one way or another, but the truth is leaven is not inherently good, nor is leaven inherently evil. It's a morally neutral thing. And it's used in scriptural comparisons like this one, not because it is decidedly positive or negative, but because of this one defining character trait. Leaven affects every single piece of dough that it touches. Over and above any other quality, that is leaven's most distinctive feature. It's pervasive influence on the things around it. Isn't that the proverbial wisdom that we hear over and over again in Scripture? That a little leaven leavens the whole lump? I mean, that's the point that Jesus is trying to drive home here when comparing the kingdom of heaven to fermented yeast. He's not saying the kingdom is good, though it is. He's not saying the kingdom is evil, because it's not. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is like leaven in that, though it may be hidden from view at times, it will impact influence, and transform everything that it touches. In the same way as leaven impacts a batch of dough by causing every bit of it to rise, so the kingdom of heaven will impact the world. Now the crowds hearing these words, they wanted to dismiss Jesus and his movement altogether. They said, it's too small. It'll never gain any traction. I mean, what influence could your teachings ever have? That's what the people were saying about the gospel kingdom then. That's what many continue to say about it now. And what did Jesus tell them? Well, when he was questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming in Luke chapter 17... He answered them and said, look, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And soon its impact will be unmistakable. 
Yeah. Jesus explains the judgment of those who oppose the gospel kingdom. The growth potential of the gospel kingdom. The permeating influence of the gospel kingdom. And finally, the glory of those found in the gospel kingdom. Take a look at verse 43. In his explanation of the parable to his disciples, Jesus says, Then, that is, after the tares are gathered and thrown into that furnace of fire, who's left? The righteous, who will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. In contrast to those evildoers, This reference to Daniel 12, verse 3, assures us that those good seeds planted by Christ and bearing fruit will shine like the brightness of the expanse of heaven because they are in the kingdom of God. Friends, it is not an easy road to get there. There are stumbling blocks in our way. There are enticements to sin. There are all the entanglements of this world and its evil. And just as the tares will wrap themselves around the wheat to choke it out, so too does this world have evil intentions for our growth in the gospel. It's not an easy road. But this is the hope. The hope of glory. That in the final accounting, we will be separated out from those tares. Counted among the redeemed. And shining forth in the kingdom of our heavenly Father. May he who has ears to hear Let him hear. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to gather and listen to words spoken so very long ago, but still an accurate depiction of your kingdom today. Lord, I pray that despite the challenges that may be around us, difficult circumstances, different enticements, different people that become a struggle, Lord, I pray that you would Help us to grow in the way that you intended when you planted us. Lord, that we would find that nourishment for our souls in your word and in the people of faith around us. Lord, that we would bear fruit so that in the end we would be easily recognizable to you and your angels as one who has matured in the faith and borne the grain of the kingdom. Lord, I pray that for everyone here and the families they represent. We know that is not easy, Lord, but by the power of your Holy Spirit, it can be done. And we pray it would for our good and for your glory. 
Thank you for this time. Continue to be exalted in our midst, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us. I trust you've been blessed by the study of God's Word. For more information about Montrose Bible Church, visit our website, montrosebiblechurch.org.